Well, it's good to be with you guys tonight. I've been here before, I think maybe once or twice, new faces that I see here. You know, it's always good. You know, I was in the back when you guys are all worshiping and all, and I was just thinking, you know, it's so good to see you guys plugged in to a young adult group, you know, because a lot of you guys could probably be at home doing whatever you do, right? Uh, Whether you're doing TikToks or social media, whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm messing with you guys. So, but it's nice to see you guys. You know, I I was part of a young adult group when I was growing up too. Um, You know, my girlfriend and I went to uh, to, to a young adult group who's met my wife now. Um, And it's always neat to come in the middle of the week or during the week just to kind of get you know, a Bible teaching, some fellowship, because I know the world out there, the culture is crazy, more crazy than when I was growing up and I was your age. And it's just a lot of things that you guys are up against constantly, uh, especially everything is all media driven. And, uh, you know, I've been in radio for some 20 20 years or so and um, been pastoring for a while as well. I I planted a church in upstate New York, uh, planted there a church for 10 years, then I went back to California, was there for another 10 years, got a job at a radio station and was doing some teaching as well. And then uh, the Lord brought me back with my family to the East Coast. And here I am again on another journey. And, um, but I'll tell you, I'm encouraged to see you guys come. And I encourage you guys to continue to come. I know things are always, always come up during the week, but fight them, you know, just fight those stuff off. Your other friends that say, hey, why do you need to go to church again, man? You've already did it on a weekend. You know, they don't understand that, that the Christian life is not a a one-time event. You know, you say yes to Jesus and now you put everything into cruise control. That's not like that. It's, it's living the life in, day in and day out. And you go through your struggles like everybody else. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, pastors, non-pastors, we all go through the same thing. So there's nothing different. I always say the difference between me up here and, and, and you there is just that I'm up here. I mean, I'm like one of you guys. And so I um, just want to encourage you guys on that. But that's not my message. Just wanted to give you guys an encouragement. But the question that was asked is, how are you living, or are you living with a purpose? Um, You know, the the message, my title today is called, How Are You Living? And when somebody comes to you and they'll say to you, hey, how's it going? You have an answer to that, right? That's pretty simple. There's nothing deep to that, right? Hey, how's it going, bro? Hey, how's it going? And you say, oh, everything's good. I've just been working, a little tired, busy, whatever. And you kind of make a quick little you know, remark, and, and you give them a quick answer. But what if somebody said to you, how are you living? It's a little deeper, isn't it? How am I living? What are you talking about? How am I living? Now you kind of stop and think about that. But when somebody asks you, how are you doing? It's easy just to kind of say something quickly and walk away. You know, many years ago, I was walking into a store at the mall, and you know how the workers will come to you and say, hi, how are you? You know what I mean? They're really nice, right? And I did something. I said, yeah, I'm going I'm to see how... how attentive they are to what they're really saying. So I walk into the store, and this young girl comes up. Hi, how are you? I said, better than you, thanks. She goes, thank you. And she walked by. She wasn't paying attention. That tells you they're like robots when you go into a store. They don't know. I mean, they're just like, just say, how are you doing to the people, and just keep going. And I said, I'm better than you, and she didn't even get it. But when somebody says to you, how are you living? I think that's a little bit more deeper. How many of you guys have heard of the book of Ecclesiastes? Raise your hand. Ecclesiastes. How many of you guys have read the whole book of Ecclesiastes? Okay, this book is a trippy book because when you begin to read from chapter 1 to chapter 12, you're thinking, this is Solomon? What happened to this guy? I mean, this guy is the one who asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. 
Uh, this is the king, right? This is the, 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 the son of, of, of David. And, and you kind of start thinking and you look at these pages and you're thinking like, what's up with this guy? What happened to his faith? Where is he going with these things? Well, I want to look at the first 11 verses. That's all I want to look at today. Just 11 verses. And I want to look at some things to remind you about the balance between living on that vertical plane versus the horizontal plane. Because as, 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 as human beings, as people, you have relationships. That's the, that's the horizontal level of life, right? You got your friends, you're hanging out, you're, you're, all the things that you do, but then you forget that there's a vertical relationship, and that's your relationship with, with God, right? With Jesus. So there's got to be a balance between these two. And so I'm hoping that, one, I challenge you through this little message that I'm going to give you, but not only that, but also to maybe bring you back on track if you have gone off track spiritually. So let's look at verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to just read through verses 1 through 11, and then what I'll do is I'll go back and begin my study here. So the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come. By those who will come after. Kind of depressing, huh? It's not kind of like your coffee time hanging out with friends at Starbucks, right? You're like, dude, stop talking that way. You're depressing me. You know, what's interesting is when it comes to life, and, and we're all living life here, I read this article of this Harvard professor who did this fascinating study and what he called it, he called it effective forecasting. And what he did is he actually studied happiness scientifically. And he did this research. He called it effective forecasting. And the purpose was to try to find out how we pre predict how we are happy or what will make us happy and whether our predictions are accurate. He was looking into this. Now, the conclusion to his research led him to believe that we often don't know what we want, even when we think we do. You've heard people say, you know what, if I was famous, if I was just only famous, I'd be happy. Or they would say, you know what, if I had the money, man, it'd be great, I'd be a happy man. Or maybe some of you girls say, if I married him, I'd be, I'd be a queen, I'd be set for life, right? And you begin to forecast what makes you happy. According to his study, there's a dead end to that. According to his study, he's saying that effective forecasting, he says, chasing our personal desires is a dead end. Now, it's interesting because the people he pulled were non-Christians. 
This is not a Christian study that he did or research. Non-Christians, people who did receive what they thought would make them happy, never made them happy. You know, sort of like the guy who said this, and I quote, I learned that once I had what I wanted, I found I didn't want what I had. You know, I see that in my six-year-old son, where you get him a toy, he's super happy, he bothers you over and over. Let's go to Target. Let's get this toy. Let's go to Target. You go there. You get the toy. You spent whatever, 50 bucks for it. And then he has the toy. And a month later, that toy's in the corner of the house. And I say to him, son, you have a toy. Go play with it. I want another one. But this is the toy that made you happy. Eh, eh, I want that one now. You've been a little six-year-old. Doesn't understand or doesn't even know that even the things they think will make them happy really don't. And I think it also applies to us as adults. Because I think we have that same perception. If I could only have this or if I could only do this. There was another study that I read which is even more fascinating. A scientist at John Hopkins University surveyed 8,000 college students. And he asked a question and he says, what is very important to you. What do you think they said? Anybody? Happiness. Happiness. Anybody else? Money. Money. Purpose. Family. Purpose. Family. Family. 16%, only 16% said money. And 75% said finding purpose and meaning in life. It's 8,000 college students. What was most important to them? Ecclesiastes begins with a blunt statement that life stinks. It's meaningless. Not just only meaningless, but it's short. And and Solomon had a problem. His dilemma is you do so much in this life, you work so hard in this life, and you die. What What is the problem here? Why am I even doing these things when I know that life is short? You know that when I was in, like, right out of high school, I was in college, and I went to college because all my friends went to college. We just kind of follow each other, right? I mean, I wasn't a college student, if you will, because I got kicked out of college like twice. Just my grades weren't the best, and I, I, I was just in la-la land when I was in college, to be honest with you. And so I remember my, my life was characterized by just partying, drinking, just doing stupid things, and it was just weekend in and weekend out. It was like, hey, guys, where do you want to go? What bar do you want to hit up? What club do you want to go to? We just, that that was the life that I was living, and and I thought it was making me happy. And there was a day that I was, I remember very clearly to this day, I was in the backseat hanging out, my friends were driving, and I remember beginning to look at my hands, and I had this moment, and I said to myself, why am I alive? Why am I even living if I'm going to just die? I started thinking that. I wasn't a Christian. I was raised Roman Catholic. So I wasn't raised an atheist, agnostic. There was a fear of God, but in general terms, you know. But I started asking the question to myself, why am I on this earth if I'm going to die? All the things that I'm doing are going to be nothing. That's exactly what Solomon is saying here. He has a big problem. And Solomon is kind of going through this, this crisis, if you will. And the question that I think we see from here is very simple, and that is, can you and I live life apart from God? Can you just live your life away from God? Can, can you live an effective life? Well, that question you'll see here as he continues on, as he answers, 
But there are a lot of people, and you probably have a lot of friends, who are truly searching for meaning and purpose in life. And they're doing everything they can to try to get that meaning, whether it's education, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is, they're trying to find purpose and meaning in their life. And when they're not getting it, they get depressed, they get frustrated, just like Solomon is here. A lot of you guys are influenced by the culture. And there's a lot of young adults today that are being sucked into this humanistic mentality, this, this culture that says that life is all about you. It's about you. It's what benefits you. It's what you like. And, 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 and this is what they're saying. This is what makes you happy. Whatever it is, you do it. But Solomon teaches us here that when you approach life from the humanistic perspective, you are going to go nowhere but in circles. And that's the point he makes here with nature. The cycle of nature just does this. The phrase life under the sun, he mentions this over 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what he means by life under the sun or everything that's under the sun, what he's talking about is life as it is now on this side of heaven. What you see, what your eyes see, what your ears hear, the experiences that you have on this side of heaven, he's talking about this kind of life. Not life under the S-O-N, but under the S-U-N, the sun. Just our life here in general. Solomon begins to observe life under the sun, and his focus is on this life, not necessarily the life to come. Life on the horizontal level versus the life on the vertical level. The question that he poses out through this is, is life really worth living? Is life really worth living? Can I, can I possibly find peace and purpose in this life? Now, this is not just the non-Christian that asks these questions. I've talked to Christians that have come to me and said the same thing here. You know what? I just don't feel like I have a purpose in life. I feel like God has just kind of distanced himself from me. God is not real. I just feel like God doesn't love me anymore. You know, I blew it the other day, and I just feel like now that God has just left me. I just feel like I have no meaning in life. I have no purpose. I don't even know where to turn, what to do. And all of a sudden, as a believer, you begin to kind of, Go spir you're spiraling down into this funk spiritually because you're believing these lies that are coming into your mind that God doesn't care for you. God doesn't like you anymore. You know, we see here that Solomon, who is a popular person in the Bible, if you don't know much about Solomon, let me give you quickly a, a quick little bio of Solomon. He came into this world through the adulterous affair of, of his dad, David, and Bathsheba. But that didn't stop God from using him as Israel's king. He wrote three books. Solomon was blessed tremendously by God. In his early years of his life, he was right on with God. He, his life pleased God. He walked in the ways of God. He took the responsibility of sitting on the throne of his father, David. Things were going well. One night, when all of this happened in his life, something happened, and it radically turned his life around. God appeared to him in a dream. And he asked Solomon this in 1 Kings 3, 5, ask, what shall I give you? Could you imagine if God woke you up in the middle of the night and said to you, son, daughter, what do you want? What would you say? Would you have an answer like that? The God of creation is asking you, ask, what do you want? I would be like, Lord, give me about a week. Give me about a week. Let me pray about this. What did Solomon ask? He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for a bigger throne. 
He didn't ask for a better body. You know what he asked for? Who, who knows the answer? Wisdom. He says, Lord, I want wisdom to know how to judge your people. And God says, you know what, Solomon? Because you didn't ask, you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you this, this, this. And he began to give him fame and wealth. And Solomon became very successful. His request came out of a heart that was in tune with God's heart. And I love that psalm that says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means that when you go in prayer, God is not thinking, oh man, what is he going to ask today? Oh, I can't do that, buddy. Instead, when your heart is knitted with God's heart, what you ask, God says, yes, this is within my will. Because sometimes our prayers are selfish prayers, right? They're selfish prayers. We ask only to benefit us. We don't think of anybody else. God is not a genie where we can pick up that lamp and rub it and him come out and say, okay, what do you want, master? Solomon was an interesting individual. Someone once described Solomon as a mix between Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, and Hugh Hefner. Solomon would put Bill Gates as a lower-class citizen because of his wealth. You know, Bill Gates said this, and I quote, I have $100 billion dollars. You realize I could spend $3 million a day every day for the next 100 years, and that is if I don't make another dime. <laughs> Nobody can boast on that one, right? Wow. Solomon had everything. Everything that your typical person would want. Everything that a person would say, that would make me happy. He had fame. He had wealth. He had power. And he had women. Some guys are like, yeah, right there, I want that. No, that crashed his faith, actually. You know, 1 Kings 11.3 says this, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. He had 1,000 women in his life. I'm married to one, and that's good. 1,000 <laughs> wives, and that is what turned his heart away from God. Listen, The things that Solomon experienced can easily crash a Christian as well. We look at Solomon like, oh, Solomon, you're such a bad man. Oh, dare you, what happened to you? But you know what? We can fall in the same trap that Solomon fell into. Because if you're going after wealth, the Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the, the, root, it, 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 the love of money is the root of all evil. If that's what your goal is to make money, to find purpose and meaning, money can really crash you. If it's fame, the same thing. If it's fame that you want to go after, you want to be famous, you want to be recognized, you want people to know your name, I want to have 100,000 followers on my Instagram account, I want people just to know who I am. That can crash you too. You know, that's kind of like what my heart's desire was even before I became a Christian. When I was in California, I wanted to be an actor, a producer, and a model. <laughs> what it all And I just hit Hollywood. I went to college, and 45 minutes, I drove to Burbank every day, and I was getting into this industry deeper and deeper, and then I get saved. You know what happened when I got saved? Then I said, Lord, I want to be a Christian producer and a Christian actor now. I'll tell you one thing. That industry is horrible. The people I met with, the parties that happened afterwards, I mean, really, you have to be like super-duper strong Christian to be able to navigate through that culture. It was crazy. 
So God steered my life away from there, and I ended up in Bible college. <laughs> kind of opposite on that. But listen, everything that Solomon had proved to be empty. Why? Because towards the end of his life, Solomon lost his focus on God. And listen, guys, that could happen to you. You can be, oh, I'm fire for the Lord right now. Yeah, this is great, but you know what? Be careful. It could be a relationship that can derail you. Pride. You know, it's a warning to all of us, really. You know, when we try to live life apart from God and when we decide to say, you know what? I don't really need to depend on God anymore because I, 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 I got it now. That's when you're in danger. And Solomon blew it. When our focus is only on the horizontal level, under the sun, we're going to be very frustrated in life. So what does he do here? Notice in verse 1 through 11, and I'm just going to go through these quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But Solomon kind of introduces himself, and he says, welcome to my life. You ready? Here we go. I identify myself. I state my worldview. And then I, he, he begins to kind of defend it in general terms. He calls himself the preacher, which really means a, 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 a speaker. He says, I'm a preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know, that repetition in the Hebrew language is very interesting. It's what it's doing. It's emphasizing something that is worse than the first mention. For example, it's when you say, somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you see that one movie? Yeah, the movie, it was bad. Oh, really? Was it really bad? He goes, no, it, it, it was really bad, right? You make that emphasis, right? That's what he's saying. He says, vanity of vanities. <laughs> All things are vanity. I mean, he's saying, life really stinks. That's what he's saying here. He says, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he tolls, toils under the sun? It's like all this work and work and work and work and work. And it's such a crazy statement for him to say all this, that all, all this vanity, that all these things that he's saying, it's basically saying that life has emptiness, it's temporal, it's fleeting. I mean, this is something that Solomon is struggling with as he's making this observation under the sun. And he gives us this analysis of, of negative themes throughout the book. But it also develops the positive theme of overcoming the vanities of life by fearing God, who is good, just, and sovereign. And the interesting thing here is that we know that God is good. You know, it says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He talks about profit in verse 3. There's no guarantee that if you work hard, you're going to succeed and get ahead, is what he's saying. And he talks about the labor of man, man's activity in life. You know, there's a French proverb that says this, and I quote, life is an onion. When it's peeled, there's nothing left, and one cries the whole time peeling it. I like that. It's like you work and work and work and work, and you know that uh, the, the United States is the most overworked nation in the world? There's more hours put into work in the United States than in Japan, in China, and all the other parts of the world. You can Google that. I'm not making that up. That the uh, America, and what happens when you're overworked? It leads to more stress, doesn't it? A lot of stressful people out today, aren't there? They're constantly working, right? Working, 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 working. And then when you get into stress, what? It lowers your quality of life. 
You know, they say stress is the number one cause of health problems, mentally and physically. When you overwork yourself, it really affects you physically, not just mentally. And Solomon is saying that all this profit, this man, the labor of man, which he toils under the sun, really comes to nothing. But then notice what he says in verse 4, one generation passes away, another generation comes. People come, people go is what he's saying, but the earth stays the same. It doesn't go anywhere, he says. You know, there's so many people today who, who feel as though they're in this meaningless cycle. I call it the hamster wheel um, analogy, right? You're constantly in motion, but all you're doing is really going in circles. You're not going anywhere. And I have two hamsters at home, and they do stuff like that. They're like, dude, get off the wheel. You're not going anywhere. You're getting tired. Sometimes people feel like that's the way life is. I feel like all I'm doing is I'm doing all these things, but I'm just going around in circles. Solomon is saying life is, is meaningless, this meaningless cycle, he says, People are born only to die. There's nothing new under the sun is what he's saying. And then he makes a contrast with people that come and go while the earth continues. And then he begins to give you illustrations about this. He looks at creation. Remember, Solomon is a very wise man. So he begins to kind of look at how things are in nature. And then he begins to illustrate it in verse 5. He says, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south, turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually, and it comes again on its circuit. He's, he's looking at this, and he's, this illustration of the earth abides forever, he's observing nature, and he's talking about just how his point is the sun and the wind are in constant motion, but they're never, they never arrive at any fixed goal or lasting rest. They just keep going around and doing their thing. The streams continually flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. He's looking at all of this, and he's seeing this repetitive kind of cycle. You know, what's interesting is when he's talking about the wind here, you know, remember the Bible was written thousands of years ago and Solomon is stating something that was discovered by Galileo in 1630. It's what we call the jet stream. And here in the Bible, he's talking about the jet stream. That discovery didn't come till later. So when people say, oh, the Bible contradicts science, not really. Here we see it here with, with him. What he says here is there's basically... There's no satisfaction as you observe the laws of nature. Uh, go to chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. He makes that same point here. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 7. He says, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Wow. So there's no satisfaction. You know, rolling stones, rolling stones. Yeah, I mean, they're, I know they're, they're like, Classic rock, way back in the 60s, right? I think. I wasn't born back then, but most of you know the Rolling Stones. Remember that song? I can't get no satisfaction. These guys are rich, but yet they have songs like that. You know, Solomon's comparing human activity with the cycles of nature. They're both in constant motion, but reaching no significance, no real purpose or meaning. Listen, without God, life is just like that. It's pointless. Why, what are you living for? The problem people think is that living life without God is better and more fulfilling than living without him. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. I tried to live life on my own without God and it didn't work. 
There are moments that I thought I was better than God and I was smarter than God and I could do things on my own. But when life hits you hard, who do you turn to? Listen, life is hard enough, right? It's hard. And if you move, remove God from the equation of your life, now you're dealing with these things on your own. That's why the suicide rate is high. People come to the end of themselves and they say, I can't handle this anymore. Where we have God who helps us we can go to Jesus as he says, you can come to the throne of grace. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I can't imagine myself living life apart from God. I, I did it for a lot of years, and it was never satisfying. The life I'm living today is satisfying. Even with the ups and downs that I experience. You know, in John chapter 6, the disciples were put to the test a lot of people were following Jesus, but his words were really hard to understand or to grasp. And the Bible says that many disciples walked away from him. They walked away. And Jesus didn't go after them. Oh, come back. Please come back. I'll, I will make my, my words a little better for you. I'll water it down. He didn't say that. You know what he did? He turned to his disciples and he said, do you guys want to go away too? You know what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. Could you say that? If somebody put you on the spot and said to you, hey, deny your faith right now, would you be tempted to be like, hmm, well, let me think about it? Or would you say, no way? There's no way. Jesus is my all in all. There's no way I would turn my back on Christ. And Peter said the right thing at the right time. You know, we all need a shepherd to help us live life. Psalm 23 is obviously, we know this the Lord is my shepherd. I like what the New Living Translation, the way it translates it. It says, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along paths, bringing honor to his name. I love what he says. He leads me. He renews me. He guides me. We all need help living life. Do you guys agree? If your heart said, I could live my life alone, Robert. I hear what you're saying, buddy, but, but you know what? I got it. We'll talk in a few years. Because sometimes God allows us to go our way so we can hit that rock bottom or we come to a dead end. And we'll always remember, you know what? I remember when I was with the Lord. I remember this. And you begin to, like the prodigal son, tracking back. You know, there's no one that can offer us comfort like Jesus offers comfort. There's no one that can offer us guidance like Jesus offers guidance. And Solomon is saying all these things because he's, he's got this problem that he's looking at life under the sun and he's saying, everything that I see, everything, all my observation, how man works hard for everything, yet he dies, it's pointless, it's meaningless. He says in verse 9, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in, in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. You know, there's only a few famous people that we still remember from 100 years ago. What about 400 years ago? I mean, there's a lot of famous people, a lot of people that invented things that we have no idea that, that they did it. Their names are gone. Your names are going to be gone in 100 years. Another 80 years, 90 years. Nobody's going to remember anything, even the accomplishments that we, 
we accomplish. This is what he's saying. He's saying that, you know, these things appear to be new at first, but after, when, while it lessens, it becomes old. You know, it's interesting because when it comes to these things, you know, he's talking about remembrance. He's, he's talking about this generation, a generation that comes will forget the generation that is gone. You know, in the context of Ecclesiastes here, it means that things done under the sun are only a temporary significance, of temporary significance, and therefore, set against eternity, they have no real value. What, what has real value is your investment spiritually. You know what has real value is you guys sitting in here right now. This, is, this, is, this has eternal value because you're allowing yourself to be fed the word of God. You're not here listening to me trying to sell you a vacuum. I'm trying to sell you something. This is of eternal significance. And that's why I said I'm so encouraged to see you guys here because you want to invest in your spiritual life, in your relationship with Jesus. That has eternal value. That will last forever. That is not a cycle that you're going to be stuck like a hamster going round and round. Walking and living for God is amazing, is awesome. The journey that he takes you through. And this is what Solomon is kind of stuck in this, looking at life like this. And, and, and I think as I close here, life apart from God is seen in, in three ways. One, our activities are unprofitable. Even making a name for ourselves has no real value because once you die, people will forget about you. Life becomes a repetitive cycle, meaning you're going through the motions if you don't have God in your life. You'll never be satisfied. You're going to want more and more and more, and finding new things won't bring satisfaction. You know, life apart from God is, 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 is like the cycles of nature, repetitive and fleeting. You get up, you go to work, you eat, you sleep. You get up, you go to work, you eat, sleep, and you just, it's just a cycle. That's all you're doing. Life becomes very, very predictable. When you're living with God and you're living in Christ, Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that awesome? John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Is your life full? Is your life satisfying because of Jesus? Or are you trying to, Gain, or are you trying to attain satisfaction and purpose by doing other things or trying to go after other things? And so the question that I posed to you at the beginning is, how are you living? How are you living? What answer would you have? How are you living? Not how are you doing, how are you living? I'm living in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm following my shepherd. That's how I'm living. I'm trusting in him. I'm dependent upon him every day. From the day I, the, the moment I wake up to the time I lay my head on my pillow. We are to balance out the horizontal level of life and the vertical level of life. Yes, we have relationships and have relationships. Non-Christian, Christian, have it. Be a witness to those who are not Christians. That's your horizontal life. But then there's that vertical part of your life where you've got to maintain and keep talking to your Savior. Spend time with Him. Talk to Him. You know, praying is just talking to God. People make this huge thing about prayer. 
They think that prayer is more about a posture, but it's not. It's a matter of the heart. Just, it's a relationship that you have with God. You can pray as you're driving. Just don't close your eyes. You can pray as you're walking to a store. You, you can pray. I mean, I am in constant communication with God. I don't just wait until events like this to talk to God or on a Sunday. I talk to God on a daily basis. Why? Because I, I depend on him every day. I can't live life without God. You can call me a wimp. That's fine. I need him in my life. Listen, if God were to leave me alone for one day, if God said to me, I'm going to walk away from you for one day, guess what? I will fall apart. There's no way. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, keeps me in one piece. But if he were to remove himself away from me for one day, I would be a mess. We don't realize how much involved God is in our lives. And we got to not take that for granted. Balance out horizontal living or vertical living. And you got to ask yourself, is there an area in your life right now that perhaps seems meaningless or empty right now? Is there something that is kind of bothering you? Maybe it's something that maybe, maybe you went off track spiritually. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I see what it is. I've been going after this. I need to get back on track with Christ. And that's what I wanted this message to do, is to realign you back with the Lord. Because like I said at the beginning, there's so much against you in this culture as a young person. Everything you're seeing on social media, everything you're seeing on all these different media outlets, it's a constant preaching of a very dark culture, trying to steal your minds to believe in this humanistic philosophies that are out there. We have to be careful. We have to begin to think biblically. You have to somehow begin to develop a very strong Bible mind. And how do you do that? Just read your Bible. Read the Bible. Read your Bible. Let your main purpose in this life be to serve and honor your Savior. Be to serve and honor your Savior. Seek him first. Put him at the forefront of your mind. Because Jesus himself will satisfy you and he will give you the desires of your heart if your heart is connected to his heart. I like how Ecclesiastes finishes. Go to chapter 12. Listen to this, and I'll, I'll close with this here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to this. You know, Solomon begins with vanity of vanities. He does end in verse 8 of chapter 12. Vanity of vanities again. But he does say something in verse 1 of chapter 12. Listen. He says, remember now, your creator in the days of your youth. Remember. Your Bibles might say, consider. Consider your creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait until you're older or when you're married, when I really will get really serious with God. No, this is the time right now. You're in a good spot right now. And I encourage you, where you're at right now, just Continue to move forward in Jesus. Amen? Let's play.